here's our appeal directly to you. When you come to visit the encouragers anytime, we ask that you share us with your friends in audio, radio, and innovation, because I promise you, we're going to bring it. We make certain to bring real value for your time. Sharing us will make you proud because we work very hard to make sure that we bring you interesting content, great guests, where you can learn something, get engaged, get encouraged, and leave thinking, wow, that was really worth it. It's our goal every time we do an event of any kind on the encouragers. You're going to find out a lot about that tonight. Of course, we have great guests, great content with you in mind, crafted just for you. Welcome to our Wednesday live event called Innovation in Audio. Before we even get started with this event, I want to draw your attention to a very special guest and live event coming soon because it's going to happen right here on the Clubhouse app and in our group, The Encouragers, on September the 21st. At 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, it's a presentation of a major research study from Fituri on listener behavior and what listeners want right now. This study was fielded after the lockdown, so it's critical and it's fresh information. You need to share this event and that it is coming because we're going to have major reveals as a part of this event about current listener behavior and you don't want to miss it. And I know that you've got friends who don't want to miss it either. Our special guest will be Aaron Callahan. She's the Director, Enterprise Partnerships at Fituri Media. Look for us to share details, including direct comments from participants. You'll learn what consumers are saying after the 2020 lockdowns and as people are really headed back to work. And by the way, you might be surprised from some of the things in the study. I've already taken a little peek. My name is Lloyd Ford, and I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. If you own a radio station, you've probably experienced what we call music drift and how that can take your music and your ratings off course. Call us and ask about how our music lab prevents music drift and improves ratings, or you can ask us about our morning show fame development coaching and how that puts the accent and the action in the right places to build opportunity for robust ratings growth. Also ask about our encouragement. That's right. It's one of our services. If you know somebody who's looking for fresh answers, they got some puzzling problems some challenges, we'd love to help. Reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. This live event is part of a podcast series called the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and will become available within about an hour of the end of this live event wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. They do a great job for us. We're very appreciative. Today, we are going to visit with Karen Morgan, who is the co-founder and creative director of the Innovation Lab in Los Angeles. She's going to be joined, by the way. We have a second guest. That's right. Radio personality, Fred Bugs. And, and listen, Fred is from Sirius XM and WBLS in New York City. So, you know, he's got lots of stories. We're going to get a few of them tonight live on this event. Before we get started with our current guest, I would like to give you a quick, quick preview of what's coming next week on Innovation and Audio Wednesday. September 15th. Can you believe we're halfway through the month, right? Mike Pell is going to be with us. You're going, what? Who's Mike Pell? Let me tell you. He's an envisioner. And if you know what that is, you know. And he's also the director of the Microsoft Garage in New York City. You might be asking yourself, what is that? Well, next Wednesday, you're going to find out all about it right here on The Encouragers. See our full upcoming guest calendar. We have a feeling it's going to knock you, it's going to knock you on your socks. Of course, it's available in the free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. That's also where you'll find free encouragement for on-air and promotion 
connections with our more than live and local guest series. And for local radio sellers, we have this thing that we do. It's more encouragement for them, and you know they need it. It's called Encouraging Sales Success, and it's our series that's just for local sellers. And you'll also find a ton of different resources for anyone earning their living in the radio business today right on our site. We don't lock away anything on our site the way some consultants do. So anytime, go to RainmakerPathway.com, see what you can get for free from our team. We're here to encourage you. Let's talk today's guest right now. Karen Morgan is certainly used to being both the founder and in the founder's chair, and, and she's also used to being the, in the creative director's chair, too. She was the founder and spent almost 22 years as the creative director for Soma 365 in Los Angeles. Now, for almost five, she has actually been the co-founder and creative director for the Innovation Lab in Los Angeles. She literally works with leveraging innovative technology, and it's going to be super fun to talk to her. Karen, welcome to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. Always love that. Uh, do we want to tell folks where you are just for the fun of it? Because you're you're not in Los Angeles right now, are you? No. I'll give you a no. hint. Aloha. Aloha. Mm. <laughs> Sending so, aloha. So right. So now people can be jealous. We know that you're in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, listen, you know, most of us we experience the words creative director when we run across names like Don Draper. Are you like that fictional character, but advanced in terms of dealing with technology? Because you know, it's not the '60s. It's the we're almost a quarter <laughs> of the way through the 21st century. Are you like Don Draper? Totally the opposite. Oh, you I mean, are. Oh, totally. Yeah. Mm, 100%. All right. I would well, say that. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I guess I just lead with a lot more, you know, kindness and empathy. I, I'm kind of very new school. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that. That's, that's, that's kind of a good thing to be hanging out with. I mean, we all love the hip thing for TV, but really, what do you want when you're engaged in a process with somebody? You want them to be kind, right? Well, especially I, when you're working in the creative field, right? You don't want to work with someone and come off with such an attitude or such an ego where people can't be vulnerable and comfortable, right? Because oh. if you're trying to sell a product or you're trying to create some sort of desire or an emotion, whatever that is, right? you have to kind of draw that out of people. And I just find that, you know, bees are attracted to honey, right? Absolutely. And and look, I had a conversation with a high creative, that's what I call it today, uh, a highly creative programmer in a major market. And he was saying, look, it's really hard. It's challenging to have a bad culture in, when you're trying to bring out creativity. It's horrible. So, so listen, I would like for the people listening and later on the podcast, people listening to have kind of an understanding of what you are and, and both your creativity and the world that you work in. Can you give us an idea of what kind of clients you have worked with over the last decade or two? Sure. I mean, I've worked with everything from large global clients, you know, the AT&Ts, Microsoft, HTCs, the world to, you know, smaller startup companies and, you know, done a lot of, you know, events, whether it's things on Rodeo Drive or, you know, brands. I mean, I've kind of worked all across the board, um, everything from large to small. I really love that. And and look, I want to know what it, what attracts you as a to found or to be the co-founder of companies working in such a creative field what is it that that you go oh this is for me you know i think it's this the ability to create i'm very good at visualizing things and so when someone comes to me with an idea that i like you know of course i need to feel like i can execute it but i also just love the whole process of being creative and inspiring people a lot of my work i would say has a real beauty element to it it's got fashion beauty and a, and a look to it I, I think over the last 20 years i've established sort of a look that i would say is my look it's very consistent it's very clean it's very polished it's very classic it has 
you know, I, I can deliver. And so when I work with, with various clients, depending on what the project is, I'm, I'm really good at helping someone take that idea from their head, you know, into a conceptual piece of paper, on, you know, then, you know, into, I, I like to use keynote a lot for presentations. And then, and then what are we doing as the final product? Is it AR? Is it VR? Is it XR? Is it 360? Is it just basic advertising? And these days, it's kind of all of the above. You really have to look at every single medium and how you're going to produce in those worlds because the one vision needs to kind of carry itself through the rest of the campaign. And it used to be that people would create campaigns on a quarterly basis. Now, I mean, it's, you have to create a lot of content really fast. So you need to be very organized also. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I'm, I'm always preaching and pushing with our clients to say, look, you know, it's not like it used to be. Things are different now. You have to make sure your messaging is correct in all places, right? Right. And it's the right I, messaging. People care now about your people care oh, they about do. who you associate with. People care about what you're thinking. You have to be really mindful today as a brand, I think, on what is that message and what is your brand voice and what are you communicating with your users, especially the young users. They really care and they're right. looking at you oh they're going to take speed. a good look rapid yeah <laughs> uh, more more rapid than than the older us would do right oh for no. sure Crazy. all right so so look uh i've not talked to you about this but but you said these words to me about the creative and everything I, we had a guest a number of weeks ago i won't say exactly when but it's somebody that i have a huge amount of respect for and i was shocked when they said creativity comes and goes for me and i thought oh my god i thought this person was very much like me you know i've always been fortunate i i have whatever it is, right brain, left brain, you know, I, I do strategy and I do creativity and I do behavior. Is creativity always with you, Karen? Hopefully. I, mean, I pray that it is. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I would say that I'm kind of like you in a sense where I have like that left brain, right brain thinking. I can be really strategic and understand what's going on in the business and work on the CEO level with many people and brands that I work with and understand like what is that corporate message that we're trying to get across. And then I can dive completely into the creative and almost have to block that other side of my brain out and get really into, you know, what does somebody want to see? What do they want to experience? What do you want them to feel? Which is really different than what are we selling and how much are we selling it for, right? Those are two very different ways to approach it. And, you know, in my role, you kind of have to tie those two things together. I, lo I love what you're doing. You're following right into my next question. According to <laughs> what I've read, okay, the Innovation Lab is essentially powering next generation content experiences. You know, it's interesting that word experiences is largely what we do with creativity and audio. I wonder if you could walk us through how you do experiences with content at the Innovation Lab. Sure. Well, it really varies based on, you know, the client and what someone's looking for. We, you know, we started in this, in this business, you know, when people were barely using social media and didn't really even think about taking photos on your phone, right? So, you know, I've been with technology as it's evolved. You know, right now, the big word is metaverse. The big word is XR. The big, you know, it's NFTs. And what are you doing in that experience? And so that's kind of a natural evolution for me to play in that space. But, you know, back to kind of where we at the Innovation Lab kind of focus and thrive is kind of, I would say, we're sort of orchestrators in the middle of technology companies that really have some great tech, but have a hard time marketing that tech to larger brands, brands who want to play in the tech space, but really don't have that team and the infrastructure or the bandwidth to put that together. And then kind of, we bring that creative element that sort of ties both things together. So I would say at the Innovation Lab, we're really orchestrators of next-gen content experiences, whether that is, you know, social media, whether that's print, whether that's audio, whether that's XR. And that's what I love about XR. It really brings everything together. And you need that audio. I mean, when you walk into a space, if you're going to create, you know, you're really moving from 2D flat to 3D experiential. And when you do that, it combines all of your senses. So it's so important to think from every single sense that you have to how are we creating these spaces? What is going to move somebody? And really, keep them in the space, engage with the brand or feel something that makes them want to, you know, take the next step, whether that's a follow, whether that's a share, whether that's a purchase, you have to kind oh, of think in those terms. Really important to your clients, right? We can well, turn Well, that's what these, you're getting measured yeah. on. 
you That's know, at right. the end of the day, did it work or did it not? It doesn't matter yeah. how creative you are. At the end of the day, it's all about that. It's funny, no matter what business you're in, that's what it really comes down to, right? It does. So, so listen, you, you have expertise, including branded content creation, 3D design, merchandising, augmented reality, virtual reality, 360 content development, social media content creation, and a strong understanding of user experience design. How long have you been involved in creativity, innovation, and well, what I'm going to say sounds like a lot of fun? Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's definitely challenging too, right? Um, and I've, been in, I've been on this side of the business probably, you know, 20 years. I started as, an, as a model internationally, which was a really great footprint for me. I worked, you know, for very large fashion clients and kind of going underneath that world and seeing a deep dive, you see the level of detail when someone's creating a collection, right? Whether it's Carolina Herrera and you're seeing her lookbook to her fashion shows, to her collection, the way she ties the bows, to the way she makes sure every single detail is in place. Details. I would say that gave me the foundation to be good at what I do because it's really about those fine details that really make it all come together. And So you, you paid attention during that part of your career and oh, it's totally. really paid off for you, right? Well, it's kind of boring. You know, modeling is great, but it's kind of boring. You're just standing there a lot of the time. So I was standing there, but I was also really educating myself on, you know, how do they do everything? What are they doing? How how does this work? What does this photo shoot look like? What is the art direction? You know, you get to know everybody from, you know, makeup to hair to models to stylists to the business people to the, to the lead designers. And, and that world is very much kind of this world that we're playing in now because fashion brings mm. you into a world you know when you see their music videos and, or and, and into, ex, it's into a, an right, experience. In, into an experience correct yep. i want to talk about that experience is so important to humans it's like we're hardwired not to change or right. to appreciate change at all unless we have an exceptional experience and then change can be rapid or even immediate. Yeah. You, you deal with a lot of brands and experiences surrounding their brand or brands. I think this is especially valuable to people in our business who are programmers, but I mean, pretty much everybody because everything is a brand now. Everything, and, every person and, is a brand. I mean, absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. Every teenager you, has a brand. <laughs> yes, isn't that the truth? And and can you share with us a bit about how you get started with a brand? So you know, you get contacted, or you contact them, and something starts that process. What what is that for you? Well, you know, luckily my partner is my husband, E.C. Morgan. He's great on the biz dev strategy side and research side. So he's always in front and like gets the trends. I mean, he's always right on every single trend. So I'm really brushed up and polished on that level, which is half of what I do, right? If I'm going to be great and creative, I have to have a great strategy and I have to be on trend. So that's number one. Number two, when I start working with a client, I really like to, you know, just take a really big deep dive, look at what they've done now, what have they done that's working, what hasn't worked, and then kind of just sort of almost like, you know, I almost screenshot every single form of media I can find that's out there. And then I kind of like go into detail and figure out, you know, what's working, what's not, what would I change? What would I not change? You know, and people are sensitive about their brand. A lot of times it's their baby. It's oh, to yeah. be kind of you know, you have to be sensitive, but you also have to bring people into the next generation of what's what's happening, where technology comes in and experiential comes in. So, you know, I kind of go there and then create a really tight, you know, design document of how we're going to execute what's phase one, what's phase two, what's phase three. And, you know, once you get through phase one, it starts getting easier. And then you're also working with teams and sometimes you're working with very siloed teams, right? So you kind of have to talk to oh. this division and this division and that division. And then you're working, you know, I work a lot with CEOs directly with the CEO of the companies sure. I work with. So usually that's sort of the relationship with the innovation lab as we work on that CEO level and kind of help bring that vision into execution mode and innovation mode and drive that sort of in that lane of brands we work with. And, and you're really telling a story, aren't you? Always. Always telling a story, 
which we're hardwired for stories too. Right. Uh, listen, now I'm going to get a little weird because okay. I'm going to bring up some, <laughs> I'm going to bring up what are for the rest of us, just kind of initials, but kind of it wows us a little bit. Kind of like when people start talking really uh, a lot about Elon Musk. Right. So <laughs> are you, are you a big believer in VR, AR experiences? And, and can you explain those to us? Like we're fifth graders? Cause we kind of are. I can try. I can try. Um, so I was introduced to VR probably maybe seven years ago and went in, you know, to a headset, went into this world and it was incredible. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to create in this space. Like, literally, I couldn't wait to create in, in, in this like VR environment. Talking about challenges, not an easy way to create. Luckily, you know, we hooked up with HTC and we created a couple of different 360 experiences. Again, Good experiences, learned a ton from it. So, if we don't know, explain what VR is. So, it's virtual reality. So, basically, you need a headset, whether that's an Oculus, whether it's an HTC Vive, whatever Excellent. you know you have on your face. You wear that on your face, and you have hand controllers that kind of navigate you through through this world. It's so immersive. When you say three, totally immersive. Sight, sound, motion. You know, you can use the controllers to navigate. You look up, down, left, right. So when you're creating, you have to remember, you know, what's behind you, what's in front of you, what's above you, what's left, what's right. It's not, again, you're not just taking a camera and shooting it in one direction. You have to be aware of the entire space around you, which creates a number of obstacles. And then, um, you know, VR is just a very immersive industry. I like it. I would say we've done several projects in VR. I think it's very good for learning, for education, for people wanting to learn a skill. I think there's a really good use case there. I wouldn't say we're 100% there yet for the mainstream consumer to put on a headset and just go kind of browsing through the VR spaces, right? No, no, but this is the innovation century. And as you know, like the industrial revolution, that wasn't like, you didn't have everything fully developed at first. It yeah. kind of came on. So right. who knows in 50 years what things will look like, right? Well, and it's user adoption too. Like most people don't like, especially females, they don't love to have, you know, their faces totally covered where you can't see anything. You know, we did several events and, you know, did a future retail event where, you know, we had brought several brands through it. And, you know, it's interesting. You, we, you can kind of bring people through a showroom, but it's still, there's just that, it's kind of like when people got their phones, they didn't realize how do you navigate? You know, now everybody does everything so fast on a phone. It's the same thing in VR. You have to get used to how does that user experience work? What am I doing in the space? Why am I here? But what I love about VR is the ability to transport you to somewhere completely different and really get a feel. So I would say... Yes, I love it. Not mm. as much as I used to. Mm. Oh, wow. I see. I see. <laughs> yeah. It just, it, the consu it, it's hard because it's really expensive to create great VR content. And then mm -hmm. who's watching it, who's seeing it. I don't know if it's fully there yet. You know, I would mm. say when AR glasses come, it's, I would probably bet on that. Hmm. I see. All right. So, so listen, here's what this is really about. I want to know, this is going to be like the Holy grail in your business, this thing I'm about to bring up. So do you always try to create immersive experiences with customers for brands, put them in it? I try my best when you can, and mm -hmm. you have the budgets. I mean, again, it always comes down to time budget right. and vision, right? What can you execute? And so I always go, sometimes go back to sometimes less is more, but always mm. I try to bring people into an immersive space. And again, now working in XR and kind of working in the metaverse space, you can really do that so much easier than before. And explain the metaverse again, because I mean, look, we, we had somebody talk about it the other night, but just kind of break it down for us just a little bit, kind of the the 30 second version. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if you're familiar with Fortnite and you watch people inside of a three, you know, 3D, 360 world playing mm -hmm. socially mm -hmm. with uh, playing a game, having right. a challenge, being inside of a space with someone else or a group of people, the metaverse is really kind of just this new, it's a new world, right? It's a new digital world. And it can be a small showroom, it can be a large game, it can be, you know, whatever you want, right? You can, it's, mm. it's just a new, it's a new digital space and world, and it's kind of where it's at right now. And people think of it as games, but it's so much more than that. I mean, where this is all going is, I mean, there there really are totally different worlds that people immerse themselves in, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just getting, it's just, it's exploding right now. I mean, with COVID 
and mm, everything else going bet. on. And, and, and really gamification has really been the driver of it. I mean, before, I mean, look what you can do with a game in Unity now. I mean, Correct. It, it, it's incredible. And now that it's getting more realistic, I think that, you know, there's the younger consumer, they're already fully in it, like way beyond any of us. And then for myself, I, I like going into these worlds. I like, you know, teleporting myself into a different space. And I think that as people get more used to the technology that they're going to enjoy that experience. I mean, browsing the web is great, but it's it's time for like web 3.0 now. Let's go deeper. Well, and, and look, it's so much fun. People like to talk about how people don't like to change. Well, you know what? You just look at what happened after the iPhone was introduced and how rapidly everybody's attached to these smartphones. It's incredible, oh, right? You, people will change. For they sure. Don't like, they don't like imposed Or they'll get change. left behind, right? Or, they or, or will. just age and not be with the times. Then you'll be over there talking like this. Right. All right. You can't so, send listen, a text. <laughs> that's right. That's right. How do you do that again? Okay. So, so look, it seems that the smartest retailers, and you know this because you work with these folks all the time, especially those with higher-end products, they – they have to show their brands off in unique and wholly compelling ways. I'm, I'm going to yeah. ask you when you're not talking to just mute your microphone. That way we won't get that feedback. Uh, it does seem like this would be a highly competitive space that you're in where the best ideas win. And I just wonder, you know, do you thrive in environments like this? What drives you to deal in creativity and innovation and specifically creating a customer immersive experiences, which has to be really competitive. Yes, it's definitely competitive, but there's also kind of an experience layer where, again, I've been in this space for so long that I know, you know, these are tech partners who can deliver. This is how we're going to scale. You know, there's so many things to consider besides that you really have to make sure you're marrying creativity with, with technology and the ability to really scale depending on how the brand works, right? Because not every brand is like, hey, I want to go spend a million dollars and, you know, create this amazing, you know, 360 or metaverse experience. Some brands don't have that. So, you know, I really like to look at it from how are we moving a brand from 2D into 3D? What's the most logical step for phase one to get them into this transition space and start thinking about that. How are they going to take their core team? Because a lot of people have creative teams in-house now. So how do you take those creative assets and expand them into these worlds? And are we kind of marrying the, you know, are we marrying the world that the brand is already in? Are we copying that into a 3D space? Or are we creating more of an immersive experience in that world? And then what does that world look like? And then what are they doing in that world? And why are they coming back to that world? You know, and that's Karen, kind of, you have to think, why? Yeah, and Karen, <laughs> I, I wonder if you will not be in a universe where you're going to have multiple big clients come together and create this metaverse experience together kind of thing. I can't see why that wouldn't occur, right? Yeah, I mean, we're working on that right now. We just partnered with a company called Next Play Technologies, and we're kind of building that gamified world right now, right? Creating spaces where brands can come in, build their world, create their games, create a space, create XR galleries, create NFTs. So we're we're really, we see that world and are kind of building the technologies and solutions and kind of an ecosystem for brands to play in that space. I, I love it when I have a guest come on. It makes me feel smart because I thought of something that's actually happening. I love that, especially when I know nothing about it. This is really fascinating. I am going to ask if you have mentors. Now, look, in other words, can you give us one person who highly influenced you and tell us about your connection to them? Oh, gosh. Well, I would say my best mentor ever was my father-in-law, Eli Morgan. He founded a company called M Financial. You can Google it. And he was, you know, amazing because he not only, you know, invested in some of our visions early on, but also invested in me as a person. And, you know, we would be on family vacations together and he would be like, okay, we're going to get up at six in the morning. And he would literally spend, you know, from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. working with me on the foundation of business and, you know, how you operate, how you value yourself, how you work with clients and sales. And, and so that is, that was my, you know, the mentor for me, both personally, he was just amazing, an amazing father-in-law to me, but professionally really sort of 
kind of showed me the ropes a little bit in how to play in this world. And, you know, he was one of the people who said, you always need to work with the CEO directly. You know, the companies change a lot. So you need to have that direct relationship. And that's proven to be very um, valuable for me. You're so fortunate to have somebody early in your life like that. Now, I'm going to let you off the hook here before I ask this next question. And here's how I'm going to do it. It's kind of a creative way. I'm going to say, look, nobody can tell the future. And if you meet somebody who says, hey, I know what the future is, you're guaranteed that, that they don't know. Okay. But in an Amazon world, you know what I'm talking about. What do you think the future of retail is going to look like in the next 20 years? What's that going to look like here? Well, that's a hard question. Um, I guess I would just say I think the future really belongs to the artist and to the creators. And I would say if companies like Amazon can find ways and tools for creative people like myself and artists to really get the message out. I mean, this is about encouragement. And I think that that's a really big message that needs to be put out into the world right now is positivity and kindness and empathy and harmony and, you know, people mentoring each other. So a platform that really we are selling things, but we're also giving back is what I would say. This makes me want to be lifelong friends when you talk like that. I, I love that message. And as part of why we founded the Encouragers and we started doing this process. I want to thank you, Karen, for joining us on Innovation and Audio. I hope you will stick around in case uh, some of our folks might have some questions for you at the end. Does that sound okay? Sure. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Now, look, if you subscribe to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast, you, you know what? Uh, if you don't do that, you're already missing out on great content every single week. But if you do, you're always going to catch us, right? And we know you get busy and sometimes you just want that on demand. We already have a growing archive of great shows, great guests. You won't believe what you could hear to improve the value of your own career. While you are listening to this live event, make certain that you have joined the encouragers here on the Clubhouse app and share what we're doing with friends in radio and audio and innovation because we bring it, like we say, every single week. Follow the people on stage tonight. Look around the room. Connect with others. A big part of encouraging you in your career in audio is helping you engage in the process of networking, meeting new people. Find out what our guests talk about every single week, including hacks to make your career better and certainly more innovative by subscribing to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast. We have a great guest for you. And of course, you'll always learn and meet new challenges for your career in the 21st century better with the balance of knowing more people that you can depend on. Uh, you can meet our guests live on Clubhouse or subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss anything. Yes, it's true. We have two podcasts, the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast and the Encouragers the Radio Rally podcast. They're both on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget this either. We have a special event coming October the 1st. That is a Friday. It's our first Friday night live event. If you're serious about programming radio stations, developing audience with your radio station through music, developing audience anywhere with music, and uh, maybe you just want to be the best music director in your market. We can help you with all these things. This is a must-attend live event. Make time for this event. It'll be worth your time. It's with the one and only Guy Zapolian, October 1st, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Sounds familiar, right? That's our time. Music Research and Rotations is the name of it. We actually are going to break down music, music discovery, research, and rotations then and now with Guy Zapolian. If you know, you know Guy Zapolian is a bad ass about music. Skip Dillard from WBLS and Hot 97 in New York City is my co-host for Innovation and Audio. This live event was actually his idea. Skip, how are you? I am doing good tonight. Uh, it's uh, an early hump day due to the uh, day off on Monday. So I know. Nice, right? Pretty, pretty good. Oh. Can you tell us about your guest this week? Because you've got a great guest, too. Absolutely. And, you know, when i um, WRKS went away uh, here in New York. Uh, BLS had a chance to absorb as many of their talent as as we could. We couldn't take everybody, but one of the first people on my list was was Mr. Bugs. And uh, Fred, I just can't say enough about him. He, he not only can do just about everything from mornings to 
weekends to midday to afternoons and nights and, and be relevant in every day parties. He's been literally a mentor to a ton of people in the New York radio industry and just so proud to have him. Uh, you know, here with me tonight, Fred. How you doing, man? I'm doing fine. Good. Uh, good. Hello to everyone, all the, of the innovators. How are you? Hey, man. We are good. So, Fred, you have you've seen the best and brightest that radio had to offer. Pass your way between Philly and New York. Your call letters uh, include WBLS uh, currently and Sirius XM satellite radio currently. Uh, you were a veteran at WRKS, the uh, 98.7 Kiss FM legendary uh, station. Hot 97, uh, the old WNJR in uh, Newark, New Jersey, uh, Power 99 in Philadelphia, US, WUSL, among others. And, and tell me about how you got your start. Um, I was uh, an inquisitive child. <laughs> my, my mom, uh, growing up in New York, used to listen to the Arthur Godfrey show on CBS. 1010, uh, 88, as a matter of fact, with Julius DeRosa. And I mean, it was, uh, it was uh, the uh, variety radio, like very much like the variety television shows that we're all accustomed to. And the idea of this many people being in one room always mystified me. It, it proved some type of a mystery. At the same time, WABC was was in his growth years and talking in 1964, 65, and WABC was a very big place for music and the likes of Cousin Brucie and, and, and many others on that broadcast. And, and being a youth, you, you listened to the uh, Top 40 station at the time. And, and as, after you became a little older, you found out about the Soul Station at the end of the dial on the other side. And uh, you, you became immersed in that. And I always wondered how it worked. Um, were the artists at the station, were they putting, <laughs> putting their own songs on? Did the guys talking about the music really know the artist? And I started calling the station and, and, and asking, requesting songs and um, uh, uh, winning the uh, weekend record contest, the, the album of the weekend or whatever it was. And, and, and build a very good relationship. My, um, my, my aunt had leased an upstairs apartment to one of the morning men uh, at W, formerly at WWRL, WLIB, Eddie OJ. And uh, my parents allowed me to go with him to uh, the radio station one morning. And there, Frankie Crocker had uh, been at uh, the radio station, just came to New York around 66 or so, and, and Frankie was passing by, and he had the Stingray Corvette, and EOJ had a Stingray Corvette, and I was like, wow, the radio station. I had a chance to walk around in there at uh, on 58th Street and Woodside, the old WWRL studios, and and that was a, a brief trip, and, and it helped me to, to realize that that's what I wanted to do. Fast forward, mom and dad bought a reel-to-reel tape recorder. I, I started uh, mimicking everything I heard on the radio. And 1969, Gary Bird uh, started at WWRL, who was still at w, was WBLS now doing talk radio, but he had come down from, from Buffalo working at uh, Whistle in Buffalo, a CHRFM, um, and uh, he had worked at Wuffo and and uh, he, he and I built a kinship at the time. He was 19. I'm, you know, a teenager myself. And I would call. He was working overnights. I would call him. We'd talk radio uh, for an hour or two. And he would go back to his show. And I eventually asked if I can come up to the station. And uh, I eventually had the opportunity to go, my cousin and I, up to the radio station in 1970. I guess it was Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, which is Black Friday. And, uh, and sat in the lobby. Uh, Gary didn't come, but Jerry Bledsoe, whose family I knew in Queens, was on the air. And, and the Dr. Jerry Bolden was uh, at the radio station on everybody else's day off uh, doing the promos and, and doing working with the TM package and putting his voice on top of that. And he said, come on, come on, kids, let me show you what I'm doing. And of course, Jerry Bolden had his white lab jacket on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he did. And I mean... Yeah, and he was uh, he was uh, on top of the game. I'm watching him edit on the Ampex machines and splicing things together, and that really fueled my desire to to want to be on the radio. And and from that that from that point on, up until I got my first paying job in radio, I was not an intern, 
but a gopher at WWRL. I, I would go up to the station after after school and uh, sit in the lobby and God bless her, Barbara Johnson, who was the receptionist. I know I was a tremendous pain, but I would sit there and, well, you can't go back because uh, Jerry's on the air and, and Mr. Bowling is in the building, so they don't want anybody in the control room. And one of the guys would come out and say, hey, come on, kid, go to the store. And, give, and I would go to the store and bring it back, and that would uh, give me the opportunity to sit in the control room and, and watch the workings. And then and, and, and being there, you, I became the... Uh, uh, the, uh, the the nosy kid wanted to know everything, learned as much as I can learn at that juncture. And uh, that's that's what kind of gave me the drive and got me going. Yeah, that's that's so cool. And, and you know, it's amazing when you look at how people break in a day versus that time. It really is amazing. You're, you know, one of the select club that made it through the transition from the Arbitron diary methodology of rating measurement and uh, you know, made it over to electronic measurement known as PPM. A lot of their personalities had tons of trouble even among uh, the very best talent that you and I both know. And mm. what's changed the most about radio since uh, 2008? Well, for me, um, the transition was a matter of how my career went and, and, and many others. I came up around programmers and I was always hearing programming talk. Um, when we had uh, Pulse, the rating service, and, and then Arbitron had telephone retrieval and, and the like, I would always try to find out what it was, what it meant, and, and how it was done. Um, when, when we became currency with PPM, it was the same ideal. Uh, I had uh, been in management for the most part of my career, uh, APT, music director, and... Um, Having been involved in, in watching, looking at the numbers, understanding the research, helping to put together the music research department at Power 99 uh, in, in Philly. And so, you know, that, that, that always was a part of who I, who I was. And so when PPM entered the equation, and of course, we at, at, at Urban Radio, Black Radio, preferred telephone retrieval because you felt it was more immediate. Of course, the diary world, um, you know, one, 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 one uh, book you could be this high on the ratings and uh, depending on who they liked or who they remembered, you could be someplace else. PPM offered an opportunity for some real listener, real idea of how, who's listening to you and, and if the folks really were listening to you. And I tried to learn everything I could about that at the time. Um, the, the Rick Cummings being at Emmis and Rick Cummings helped us to uh, forge through and, and understand exactly what it was now as from a personality perspective and um, what it meant. Being part of the original Hot 97 team, we would get away with murder. Uh, this is pre-PPM, of course. And uh, we would we would have these 10, 15-minute breaks. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, uh, Fat Man Scoops said, come in here, man. What do you think about the brand-new so-and-so album? And we would go off on a tangent. At the time, we were the only only hip-hop station in, in New York, in the city, so we were able to get away with murder. But uh, enter PPM, and, and now you realize that you didn't have that uh, you didn't have that flexibility anymore. And you had to be um, the, 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 the spot on when it came to what your messaging was going to be. Um, and, and it happened at a time uh, after radio had turned into a thing where the, pros, the most popular personalities wanted to be Howard Stern. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, and so it, it started to change now where, you know, you had Howard Stern, Wendy, um, Michael Bazden and, and folks now are opening up the door for if you really want to be a known personality, then you had to have a show where you were going to talk for a while. And it was more talk and less music. And it was acceptable, acceptable. Um, how I came up in, in broadcasting, we were always taught to pretty much get to the point. You know, you could say a lot without using a lot of words and um, we would be able to, to get that point across without going long and doing it. So it was something you were, we were used to. So when PPM became currency, it was, it was an easy fit. 
and you understood what you had to do. And we were still learning a lot about it, even from 2008 all the way through uh, the, the, the 14 and 15. We were still finding out nuances of uh, the people meter. But that, that's what helped me to, uh, to get through that was having always been involved in, in programming in some way, shape or form. Having been on both sides of the table really helped me understand what was necessary to, uh, to do it. And, and, still, and we're still finding new things out and I'm still learning new things. You never stop learning. No, absolutely, man. And, you know, Fred, I was a big fan of your air checks as, as Hot 97 transition from dance to hip hop. I remember I was just starting my career and was still in New Orleans and all the news was around this rap music radio station in New York City. And I remember there were so many naysayers who believed that the advertising community would go sour on it and even uh, listeners would go sour on it because there was this perception that people just didn't want to hear rap songs back mm -hmm. back and what was amazing was that um you know you guys kind of a renegade team that proved uh the industry uh, you know untrue because hot went number one and you were part of that team what was it like to be part of that that crew with steve smith and and Paco Lopez and some of the others that were, were there at the very beginning. Well, you know, um, Keith Nathalie uh, at Camel had, had done it in the, uh, in the late 80s at Camel out, in the, out on the coast. And, and we all were watching that who were into hip hop and wondered, well, how do we get these big songs that the mixes have played over the weekend? How do we move these into rotations? And uh, being working with BK Kirkland PD and myself as APD in the 80s from 86 to 90, uh, at WBLS, uh, BLS was not known for being the station to play rap. Uh, no. Frankie had hired Mr. Magic from WHBI, and and on the weekends his show was phenomenal. Um, and uh, by the time I got to BLS in '86, he was still there, but we had to find a way to get those songs to get on because those were the songs that were really reacting. Those were the songs that people were really acting for. Yes, they were still asking for the Teddies and his, and the uh, Stephanie Mills and and and. The, the lot but uh, those were the songs that were happening I think that one of the first songs that went into full rotation on BLS at the time was Rob Bass It Takes Two and um and and uh, we we did it. The uh, chairman emeritus, Mr. Sutton, couldn't understand why this song was playing <laughs> every four hours on his station. And and we you know we we took the bath and showed it. So so uh, fast forward now. I I was two years out of radio in nine and ninety. I left and I did A and R at Cold Chillin Records. And and after that, uh, Northeast Regional Promotion Manager at, at Def Jam. So when I got back on the radio, I don't know. I I felt. I kind of think now that had it been a country western station, my 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 mental was I'm going to stay here no matter what the format is going to be, yeah. and uh, you know you try to you try to adapt and make the transition. We we were at that time Joel was programming and and uh, Judy was the general manager Judy Ellis, uh, who later went over to Citadel Citadel, and uh, we were playing three rap songs an hour within the dance songs and whatever R&B songs we were playing. Sure. Uh, by the time Steve came in and it, and it went full blast, it was amazing to be able to do it because the fight had been, why are we playing these rap records during the day at other properties, <laughs> right? It's, especially in New York, it was, well, you know, we'll put it on after six or either we'll do it after three, do it in September when the kids get out of school, but we're not playing that in the morning. And now here was a station in New York the home of Madison Avenue, where we were playing rhymes all day. Now, mind you, we we mixed the rhymes in with the R and B records, whatever you know. So that's it, it, it fit. It made it, I'm sure, more palatable for a lot of folks who were were the naysayers. But yes, there were a lot of people who were naysayers. And after a couple of books, and it started to show that there was something there. Uh, it was a it was it was an amazing experience because I think that staff at the time, we all learned from each other. You know, the, the newer broadcasters uh, who were getting on the radio, perhaps for the first time, uh, I was learning from them and uh, some of them were, were learning from me. So it was, it, was a, it was a great camaraderie. I think it was only dwarfed by what we were able to do with Jeff Wyatt at Power 99 in Philadelphia, because it was a very similar situation yeah. where we were playing rhymes, uh, 82 through 85, and uh, now, you know, fast forwarding, now it's all hip hop with the R&B yeah. mix.
mixed in. So to answer your question, it was an amazing, an amazing experience to to be one of the first to do something like that in this market. It had to be. And, you know, I, I'd love to get very quickly your opinion on how the advertisers came around, because, I mean, I heard some I heard some near racist things when hot first went hip hop. Uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, some general managers in other markets just moaning and groaning. Oh, God, it's going to kill advertising. And I remember, uh, you know, as Z100 and other top 40 started bringing in the tone lokes and others. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh, God, you know, we're going to ghetto ghetto up top 40 you know there there were some really you know there was a moment in which you know uh, um hot 97 was kind of like you know it was like blame hot 97 for destroying contemporary music. yes yes i heard that from uh, some of my former co-workers <laughs> uh, in in the game but let me say this at at that time you had um you had the station in washington dc that was playing a lot of rap, playing a lot of hip hop. They, I mean, uh, he was he was putting putting those records on, much to the dismay of the folks over at uh, KYS, uh, oh, yeah. who wanted to have those songs first. The brand new LL Cool J record was playing at PGC, yeah. and uh, and Skip and Skip Finley was uh, a little upset with the late Wes Johnson, uh, national promotion uh, vice president of promotion for Def Jam. Why are you giving him the songs first? And Wes would always say with a smile. Oh, unbelievable. I gave you the, the record first and you never want, you didn't put it on. No. He put it on. I didn't make him put it on. He put it on. And what was happening with the rap acts at that time, when you went through the Midwest, uh, a lot of the kids who were the rock and roll fans were loving the hip hop. That was their music. So it was, it was, it was almost, we were late at Hot 97. Hot 97 was actually late making it all hip hop station in New York because the rest of the world were ready. They were ready for it. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's pivot a bit, Fred, to personality. You cross paths with a lot of people in your career. Wendy Williams, Ricky Ricardo, Vaughn Harper, Chuck Leonard, Frankie Crocker, Howard Stern, Carol Ford, Scott Shannon, Don Imus. What do the most iconic talents in the history of our medium all have in common, in your opinion? Um, there's something about Howard Stern that I, I, I would tell various morning shows I've worked with. Uh, now, I wasn't on the morning shows, but with the morning teams, when they would get down on each other, when one would feel that uh, the other personality wasn't pulling their weight or uh, they felt that they, they had outgrown their team. And I would say something to them, which was this. One thing you, I will always say about Howard Stern, he kept his team together. I mean, it's 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 shown in, in, in the movie. Um, he made sure he held on to his team. Some of most of the folks who left that that show left on their own ammunition. True. Um, he kept his team together. When you keep your team together and you have a belief in what you're doing and you love what you do, you know, when I, I think about Wendy Williams, nobody believed when Wendy was working at WOL in Washington, D.C. It had just come over from from the Caribbean. And they always felt she was a little left of center because she's this gossip. She wants to be this gossip queen and that will never happen for her. <laughs> and, and, and she stayed on it through thick and thin. Yeah. I worked, I was fortunate enough, Frankie Crocker was my first paying job in broadcasting. He was one of those uh, personalities I grew up listening to. And, um, and when they the, saw his transition from WWRL to the West Coast, back to WWRL to WMCA, the big top 40 station. And, and when that station went dark, with music, he was out for a couple of years before he built uh, with uh, the Suttons WBLS. One thing that these personalities all have is a desire to win. They all have a belief in what they're doing and they all love what they do. And they spend a lot of hours perfecting their craft. Yeah, no, I, I definitely couldn't agree more. Fred, you're also heard on Sirius XM and mm -hmm. You were an early convert to uh, satellite radio while still working local radio. What were your early impressions of the satellite radio world and, and how did it find its niche in your opinion? Uh, it, it, uh, satellite radio was in the beginning, it took them about two years before they really got up. They had sound card problems and 
um, the, once they got up and on the air, um, I started to think a little differently about being on the radio. For me, it, like most of us uh, uh, doing that era who have came out of the 70s it was radio station first and foremost and we will never deviate <laughs> but then the radio started to change and you realized that you had to have something else going on in your cool in your toolbox um the going there and and watching what they were doing because it was a slow growth and it was it was a slow growth both of us who were there and i got there in 2003 uh, you wondered why there wasn't the marketing was you felt lackluster or why they were not letting people know what it was. They had a plan. And that plan was to obviously pick up XM, which they did. And mm -hmm. uh, and they, they kept building. Um, it, it, it became an alternative to what the radio was in the beginning. Uh, terrestrial was was always first with the new music and was consistent with new, trying to provide new experiences as time went on in, in, in terrestrial radio and the prices became a lot uh, it became a lot more to own these properties folks got a lot more cautious about some of the things that we did at terrestrial radio satellite had picked up the mantle and ran with it they were doing different types of of shows they were in a position to narrow cast, to have one station that was going to be all 50s and another that was going to be all hip hop and another that was going to be pop with a, sl a slant of hip hop. It, they, they were in a position to do some different things that if you had a standalone or an AM or, or an FM in the marketplace, oh gosh, maybe three FMs, two FMs in a marketplace, you still didn't have the same flexibility that they had. So they had more room to experiment. And along with that experimentation, they found what worked for them. And, yeah. and after a while, with uh, the, the connection, uh, branding with the auto manufacturers and putting them in the cars and, and getting on that dashboard, much like what's happening now with the Internet and what's, what's happening over the last 10 years, they're starting to find some room there. Folks are starting to find them and, and realize that they're there. Um, it's not a death knell for, for terrestrial. It, it, it means that we have to share uh, more with these other places, with the streaming services and the serious XMs of the world. But once again, it's another challenge and, and, it, and we're learning a lot from that. Yeah, no, definitely are. And, you know, something that, uh, you know, I definitely wanted to as we wrap up the last couple of questions here. I mean, you've mentored countless talent who have gone on to become successful in our industry. and. Uh, forgive me for saying just New York, but you talk to people across the country and, and many don't know, but I, I would love to mention you also work, uh, you know, on the technology side for Verizon dealing yes. with their optic and expansion of, of broadband and, and you're, you're, you're going to be the 5G man shortly, mm -hmm. 5G going. But what do you tell these, because as program director, before I switched over to the sales marketing side, you know, so many, I'd give the young ones some advice or I'd tell them to do this and, and they'd often run for you and, and I'd laugh because they'd come back, well, Fred, you must be right because Fred said that just the same thing. <laughs> I, but I'd say, well, yeah, you, you need a second opinion. I'm glad you went to somebody that I felt could give you a good one. But what do you tell somebody brand new coming through the door that says, hey, I, I really want to do this radio thing? I'll tell you the same thing that I was told. Um, by some of my mentors at WWRL and, and one of the guys, my first job uh, on the air uh, as hired as a personality in Jacksonville at WPDQ with Willie Martin. Um, and that is, A, don't get old. B, the ratings, if you live by them, you die by them. Don't be the first one to say, oh, I'm number one. You know, that's my show. And I'm, keep your mouth shut. Make it happen. Sometimes it's got a to do what you're doing a lot of times you happen to be on a great brand so don't, don't uh be humble and 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 keep your keep your ears and eyes open your mouth shut and that's that's almost like an oxymoron something to, to tell a personality keep your mouth shut but yeah keep your mouth shut and learn everything there's always something new coming down the pike it may look like something that happened already but there's a nuance there that you need to find out about um keep your ears your eyes open learn as much as you can and don't get old accept yeah. everything 
be aware of what's going on around you. Um, as, as you. As you said, we see where we are now with the technology and, and where it is now. It's not enough just to be on the air, do your shift, wrap up your ears and, and hop in the whip and go home. There's other work that you have to do now. And it's, 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 technology, it's technology that we have to be aware of. So, you know, what I, I tell everybody, hey, put the work in. Um, it's going to be there's going to be times you're not going to feel like doing it, even if you haven't yet to achieve your goals. And yeah, that means you're on the right track. If, it's, if you're feeling burnt out, take a little time off, but keep your eyes, your ears open and learn as much as you can. Amen. Now, final question. You've met some of the greatest artists over the years and, and some of them aren't with us anymore. Who were some of your favorites that you interacted with? And worked oh, with? man, I you know. Being a youngin' and, and as I said, in gopher stages, there was Jimmy Castor, mm -hmm. uh, who was very influential in my career because he would always call and, and be that cheerleader for you. Ashford and Simpson, who I admired being a big music fan and, and seeing those names on the records of who wrote those songs out of Motown, to be able to interview them uh, at WNJR in 1976 or 77. Um, the James Brown, to meet him, I would drive to his house whenever he would come to town in St. Albans, where he yeah. lived at the time, yeah. one of his homes. And we would hop on the bikes and drive over there to watch him hop out of the limousine and go in the house. But then to meet him and be on the other side. And then fast forward uh, in the hip hop game, Run, DMC and Jay were from the neighborhood. They were the youngins from the neighborhood to see their success. Um, the new addition in Philadelphia as children at, at Lady B's home. And she would give them dinner when she came through and watch these guys to see them grow. And, and then the Jay-Z's and, and, and the Quincy Joneses to meet him and, and have a conversation with him. I would have to say Quincy Jones would have to be at the top of the lot of who's still alive today as one of the one of the great meets and the best people to have a conversation with. Yeah, I would agree. I, I had a chance to talk with Quincy in um, 2010, and that was one of the highlights of my career. And it's funny because I've never met someone that will like whatever is on his cuff will come straight through his mouth. I mean, and, 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 whatever, <laughs> and whatever whatever music is playing in the background, he'll stop and go. Uh, who's that? Well, you know, I met the arranger for that when I was in Spain in 19... Like, <laughs> gives you the breakdown of everything. I mean, it's, it's just amazing to see his energy still at, uh, at at the age that he is. Yeah, I would have to say Quincy Jones is on top of that. Yeah, no, he, he definitely would. Fred, I, I thank you so much. You're always a an inspiration to me. And anybody who loves our business uh, whether it's radio whether it's podcasting whether it's uh visual or youtube you're you, you know you're always on top of everything you're a pop culture enthusiast you keep on top of the trends and just keep doing what you're doing man i mean you're an inspiration to our industry and i thank you so much and thank you skip Thank you, man. Lloyd, we're going to turn it over back to you, man. Very good. Thank you, Skip. And thank you, Fred. Uh, you know, uh, we are going to open up the room here just for a brief amount of questions. If there are questions, of course, uh, we always tell people, like, just push the button down at the bottom of your iPhone or Android device. Uh, when we bring you up onto the stage, we ask that you mute your microphone because that's a big thing with the vocal integrity or the audio integrity of Clubhouse. This is also one of those situations where I tell you, you, you don't have to ask questions. We have a lot of people who just come and listen. Uh, by the way, when you do join the encouragers, uh, we do have people who only come to listen. That's okay. Our goal is to provide you with interesting content and advice, career hacks to move your career forward. And uh, we are always looking for ways to encourage you, but we don't mind sharing the stage with you if you're so inclined. So we do extend an offer at the end of most of our broadcast. It's a safe space for everybody. Don't forget Monday, you can join us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for our radio rally right here on Clubhouse. Of course, this Monday, September 13th is our up early and get the news live event with Dale Carter, who is the program director and morning show host at KFKF in Kansas City. And of course, 
he has a Super Bowl ring. We're going to talk about that. It's very new, shiny Super Bowl ring. You'll like that. Leslie Lotto is going to be with us, too. She is the owner of something called Remote News Service. I think you're going to find that fascinating, too. She serves radio all across the country and will tell us those stories. Tell your friends in innovation, audio, and specifically radio that they can get free resources anytime at RainmakerPathway.com and our free blog section. Of course, uh, I do have a question for Karen. You know, I, I did want to go back and and talk a little bit about change and innovation for just a minute. And I want to ask you, do you find yourself in situations where you know a client has to change? And how do you navigate that, Karen? <laughs> Carefully. Because No, because it's really <laughs> tough, right? I mean, you you yeah. talked you talked a little bit about how you know it's their baby, and we all kind of know that in the radio business and audio, we know that people get really attached emotionally to ideas. How do you nudge your way through that? I think by presenting a very cohesive concept that makes sense, followed by data and analytics and trends that are helping to make that vision that I'm proposing seem almost like their vision. I like that. Make it their idea and it's a good deal, right? It's, it usually works best that way. You know, unfortunately, uh -huh. we still live in a world where there's a lot of ego. What? what? <laughs> we're, we're totally unfamiliar with that in the radio business. I don't know if you know that. Uh, that never happens in our business. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I mean, making that a up, lot of, of times, I mean, the lucky part for where I work is people know they need to innovate. So... Please I'm mute, kind of Larry. Really I'm kind of going in in a, in a in a way where people are kind of looking for that innovation, right? And sometimes I'm taking an existing brand and just you know amplifying it through these other new channels. That's right. But you know it's hard. It's hard when people have a, a certain vision and they want to stick to it, and you have to kind of bring them into the future. But most of the time, I think people know they need to go. So there. they know they need a little help, and sometimes a lot of help, right? Yeah. And, and in your business, where they're sometimes spending a lot of money, they should be listening, right? Totally. Totally. All right, Larry, <laughs> do you have a question for somebody on our panel? Yeah, uh, one for uh, Fred. Yes. Fred, uh, yes. when you was talking about when you was learning radio, it almost happened similar for me. You was kind of taking me back on memory lane. <laughs> I might want to tell you, I met Jerry Bolding in Kansas City at KWKI. He was visiting our PD down there, Tony Johnson. Okay. And in the lobby, we came up with my name that he christened me with. I've had the uh, 50 years later. And in uh, the mid 90s, he was part of uh, the Minnesota Black Music Awards, which we honored him. And I was the voice of the Minnesota Black Music Awards from 84 to 2010. But the name that we chose was Spider J. Hamilton. And he didn't know yeah, it, but man. I had seen, and you might recall, the uh, trade magazine that was going around black radio stations called Around the Track. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. Well, I had saw Spider Harrison on there. I said, well, I like Spider too. He says, well, you better put a J in there to be differentiate. And hey, so that's the way it's been. But yeah, I met Jerry Bowling back then and I was here when uh, he met his wife here in Minneapolis back in the mid nineties. But you, yeah, thank you, you, you for taking me through that. Spider, you Spider, Spider Harrison, good thing you put the J in. Spider's one of the, one of my oldest friends. He, he got in the game and, and went to, uh, was down in Nashville, but Spider to this day, if there's a Spider Harrison on the air somewhere, he will sue. <laughs> wow, that's interesting to know. Some people got a lot of attitude, right? All right, listen, I we do try to keep things to about an hour or a little bit over. I do want to say our thanks go to Karen Morgan, uh, co-founder, creative director of the Innovation Lab in Los Angeles, and of course, Fred Bugs, who is with Sirius XM and WBLS. Uh, they both have been our very patient and giving guest on innovation and audio. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast, which should be available within the next hour or so. And we also like to thank JustJoeProductions.com. They create our audio footprint and distribute our podcast, so we cannot do it without them. Please do share our podcast. Of course, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, and the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast with others that you know are interested in growing their careers in audio. Also, people like innovation. We're way into it. Both podcasts are available at Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast.
podcast today. Please remember, be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of Innovation and Audio and the Encouragers, and good night.